Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. One of the important ways Jesus leads us to his heart is through his word. I want to invite you to turn with the Bible to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus promises to speak to us through his word if we would be willing to meet him there. Pray that we are today. I mentioned this to open the service. I really mean it. I'm glad you decided to stop by today. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit decides to stop in as well? So much of whether we experience God is actually up to us. I think he's eager to teach us and to share with us if we're willing to go to the locations that he invites us. Someone talked about spiritual disciplines like coming to church or reading your Bible as dating locations. As God is courting us as his bride. The goal here is not that we gain a bunch of information. The goal is that we fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. (laughs) Does that sound too um, earthly? To say that a spiritual discipline is like a dating location? When we're dating, sometimes we miss the point, right? A guy takes his girlfriend bowling. He gets all wrapped up in the score. Not the conversation. Am I right? <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> We're there to connect. We're there to get to know one another's heart. And Jesus promises to meet us here, to share his heart with us if our hearts are open to him. As we're looking at Matthew chapter 14, the reason that I'm having us turn here is because I want us to prepare for Easter by looking at several encounters that the Apostle Peter had with Jesus. On Easter Sunday, I'm intending to share about Jesus resurrected and revealing himself to Peter as resurrected. And for every time that Peter failed, Jesus speaks love and grace over him. And Jesus restores Peter. I really think that is at the heartbeat of God. If you want to know God's heart, it's not to condemn us or to put us in our place or to put us in a corner. It's to share a relationship with us. We see that in Peter's life, maybe really dramatically. The Bible's so honest about Peter's failures as well as his successes. Last week, we entered the scene of Peter at Caesarea Philippi where he declares that Jesus is the Christ and and Jesus says, you got that right. (laughs) You didn't get that from anybody else. That was revealed to you. That's great. And then as if Peter's ready to hear it, the disciples ready to hear it, he says, I'm going to have to go to a cross and die. And Peter says, no way. (laughs) And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, wait a minute. (laughs) I thought we were making progress. In today's scene, I want us to consider Peter as he actually walks on the water. 
I know you're used to hearing that Jesus walked on the water, but in Matthew 14, two people walked on the water. Peter also takes steps of faith on the water. And it's a fascinating scene because who couldn't see that as a huge success for the apostle Peter? He actually has the faith to follow Jesus out of the boat. But then, of course, as he gets distracted, he begins to sink. And over and over and over again, I see God's purpose in Peter's life and in ours of restoration. One of our songs today invited God to bring us not only sunshine but rain, if that's what pleases God the most. Enter the scene of Matthew chapter 14. The disciples find themselves on the water in a boat in the middle of the night in a storm. And sometimes life feels like a storm, doesn't it? Someone said that there are three kinds of people in the world, and I believe there are three kinds of people here. There are some of you who are walking through a storm right now in life. Second category of people who are listening, there are those who have just walked through a storm. So maybe you're next to somebody whose shoes are sloshing as they walked into this sanctuary. They're tired. They're beaten down, but they're through it, through the worst of it. Third category, of course, are those who are about to go through a storm. (laughs) There's your encouragement. And some of you are objecting, raising your hand, saying there is a fourth category, all of the above. (laughs) And that is the way life, that's the way life is. And Jesus sees you today in your storm. Jesus cares about you in your storm. Only Jesus knows how to invite you to come to him. Only he knows how to extend his hand in such a way that he can restore us from the water we're sinking in. I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able. And I am reading from Matthew chapter 14. Beginning with verse 22. A lot of big things have happened in this chapter, including the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. I love how Jesus doesn't tell them how he's going to get to the other side, right? After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. It's interesting. Literally, that's the fourth watch of the night, the darkest part of the night. (laughs) I don't know. Do you ever feel like Jesus is late in rescuing you? (laughs) There he is, right on time. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. Can I keep commenting? (laughs) Isn't it good that Jesus rescues them in spite of their confusion? (laughs) I don't think any one of us have it all together today. I don't think any one of us have the perfect theology or understanding. None of us are worthy. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, I love this guy. He's so bold. Tell me to come out to you on the water. 
come, he said. Do you think Jesus said that with a smile? Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. (laughs) You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, just to finish this little spot. I know it's not up there. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word all to the surrounding country. People brought all of their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. May God be honored in our trials as we reach out to him. May God be found by us in the reading of his word today. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. One summer night during a severe thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small son into bed. She was about to turn the light off when amidst the sudden flashes of lightning and deep rumblings of thunder, her son asked in a trembling voice, Mommy, will you stay with me tonight? Smiling, the mother gave him a warm, reassuring hug and said tenderly, I can't, dear. I have to sleep in Daddy's room. A long silence followed. At last it was broken by the shaky voice saying, The big sissy. (laughs) Aren't you glad we don't go through our storms alone? I want to invite you to see three things in this very familiar scene from Scripture as we think about storms, I want you to notice Peter's courage. I've alluded to it in the scripture reading. I also want you to see Peter's focus and his lack thereof. I think we have something to learn from it. And I also want to make some comments about Peter's rescue. I want to start with Peter's courage. Actually, in this passage, there's two different steps of courage, if you will. Two steps of obedience. I know you may be thinking the step of obedience of stepping out of the boat, which is pretty remarkable, but there's a step before that in verse 22 that I think is equally as important. It is a step of obedience where the disciples actually get into the boat. So it's a step of courage and obedience to get into the boat, and it's a step of courage and obedience to get out of the boat. Both of them, I think, are really important. The reason I say it was a step of obedience for them to get into the boat is how Matthew frames this, an eyewitness. He says, Jesus made them get into the boat. And in other versions, it actually says he constrained them to get into the boat. Now, if you have to constrain fishermen to get into a boat, they know it's a bad idea. Am I right? Oh, and not only that, but Jesus isn't going with them. (laughs) You wonder how they felt. 
as the storm waters started to rise and the winds, as they were alone in the boat, wondering, where's Jesus in the midst of all of this? If they weren't a bit frustrated. It kind of goes to show that sometimes, because we're obedient, we end up with difficulty. Isn't that true? Now, it's also true that we create our own storms in life and we make a mess of things all on our own. Pretty good at that. Other people make a mess of things and they get us into trouble as well that we have to live with those consequences. But in this case, Jesus makes their life a little more difficult by putting them in a boat and at a time where he knows there's going to be trouble. You've you got to know Jesus knows. And they have to be convinced to go out and do this on their own. And of course, it's a step of obedience for Peter once he does recognize Jesus walking on the water toward them in the midst of the storm to say, Jesus, tell me to come out there. <laughs> okay. Peter, who is going to fail in this passage, we'll talk about that next. Peter, who's going to fail in this passage, is the only one with the courage to step on the water. So we got to give him credit for that, don't we? We aren't told exactly why Peter chooses, why Peter is chosen by Jesus to, upon which to build his church and his confession of faith that we read last week. It, it doesn't give his qualifications or credentials, but you just got to know that Jesus loves his willing heart. He has faith. Oh, but then he doesn't have faith. And that's encouraging to ordinary people like us who fail, who have great intentions, but who don't always live into those great intentions. But I love Peter's willingness. I love his confession, by the way, when he says, Lord, save me. You notice he calls him Lord. He knows it'll do it. Peter's just a container like us, even though he makes a bold confession like that. He, he, he's just a container. He, he's not able to make this happen in and of itself, so when he loses his focus on Jesus, he's, he's going to go down. Courage. I see it as my job as a pastor to invite you to take steps of courage that might be difficult that might put you in places where you have to rely and where we as a church have to rely on God's providence and not on our past. We live in a world that's changing fast. We, we should be figuring out that our past doesn't guarantee our future. Am I right? It is rapidly changing. That's just what's happening around us. It's a storm that's around us. But add to that, obedience to Jesus always looks like taking, taking steps out there that we can't guarantee the success of for ourselves. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I just want to confess, someone's described the role of the pastor as twofold, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So it's good for you to know that. That, by the way, is a very accurate description of Jesus' ministry. That's what he did. He comforted the afflicted and he afflicted the comfortable. He takes his disciples and he puts them in a boat and he says, you guys go on without me. 
and he puts them in a situation where they can't possibly help themselves. And because of their obedience, this is their reward. They find themselves in a storm where they need Jesus' help. I want to ask a question with regard to Peter's courage and Peter's example. And my question is, are you willing to take a next step of obedience to Christ? And for some, I think that could look like getting into a boat. Have you, have you committed yourself? Are you all in on following Jesus wherever he says to go? And for others of us, it could mean taking a step out of the boat. And are we willing to follow Jesus outside of the security of the boat that he put us in? I can't help but think of the church, right? Are, are we willing to step out there toward a world that is so dangerous and difficult and hard to understand? In the darkness of that storm, in those winds and those waves, are we willing to go wherever Jesus tells us to go? Last week, I mentioned that Jerry Clarkson is soon to be visiting for the second time a group of completely unchurched people, the Shuar people in Ecuador. Boy, that takes courage, doesn't it? The risk of failure for missionaries is very high, if you don't know. They can invest their entire lives and not see fruit like they'd like to see it. There's just no guarantee when you get into that boat that there's not going to be a lot of storms and a lot of situations that can't be guaranteed. I also mentioned Lana Thurston from Among Us, who's in Jerusalem today, and she's sharing English, teaching English as a ministry to Palestinian people. Again, a very slow and in many ways difficult ministry, difficult part of the world, but I see those as just beautiful examples among us of, of stepping out of the boat. Now, you may not know this, but we need to add somebody else to the list. The Schmelzenbox. Did you know this? They are going to Mexico. They're going over their spring break week with Melba Friends Church. Uh, Marley and Garrett and Carla. As teachers, as a school counselor, as a student, they're sacrificing their very comfortable spring break. Instead, to load up, are you ready? In a church van and a church bus. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> Travel to Mexico and serve people who have tremendous physical needs. And they're going there to serve children and to teach them and to lead some children's programs with an amazing program that Melba Friends Church has been part of every single year. They bring their youth groups back and back and back and back. And I love that somebody from Reading Friends is doing that because for me, that was so formative in my first experiences as a Christian. I was invited to go on one of those trips before I was a Christian. I was a nerd in school. I know you're really shocked this chiseled form of a man up here saying, I was a nerd in school, but I was. I was the president of the foreign language club. That's how deep this goes. I was a mathlete. Just want you to know. Our team was called the Googleplexes. 
because we knew what a Google was and a Googleplex before that became a thing. It was always out there, just so you know. Some of you who, well, some of you didn't know that. But believe me, the mathletes knew all about it. Green Bull, anybody? Thespian, that was me. But I didn't know Jesus. And I was raised in a home that didn't bring me to church, didn't do what those mean parents do in dragging you to Sunday school and to church. I recently told some teenagers that I went away for a weekend one time when I was 15 years old, whole weekend, came home. My parents never asked where I went. And they said, man, that's freedom. <laughs> I said, you know what? It's not. Your parents love you so much. I was searching in high school. I had two volunteer youth pastors who saw it. How could they miss? I came out of a home of five smokers. Do you know what I smelled like? I had volunteer youth pastors who invited me to go to Mexico and paid for it. Now, I loved Spanish. I lived in Arizona for four years as a kid, and I just picked it up easily and loved it and had taken Spanish, of course, and I was the president of the Foreign Language Club. And they invited me to go, and they were impressed that I could speak Spanish to these people. Here's the best part. They invited me to preach in Spanish because that's what the missionaries are asked to do when they come. And I wasn't a Christian. But I wasn't afraid. I was so honored to be trusted. And those people meant so much to me that had been investing in me and, and wanted me to do this. And you ask yourself, well, what could go wrong? <laughs> Sending a bunch of kids to Mexico. A lot of things went wrong. We did get sick there <laughs> and on the way back. But I have to tell you, I don't regret any of it. And I think it's those experiences where, where we're pushed out of our comfort. We're replaced in an environment where we, we have to trust Jesus to come through that we often grow. Sometimes we've got to get out of the boat. And that, that's kind of hard, isn't it? I know. My parents weren't overprotective. You got that, right? <laughs> it's hard. But it's good for us, isn't it? Things will go wrong for the Schmelzenbox. They will be very uncomfortable. It will be difficult for them. And I'm confident Jesus will show up in some amazing ways. And especially for Marley at her age, she will experience some things that she can only experience by being pushed out of the boat and getting her feet wet. How about for us? Are we willing? You know, I just saw the movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution. And it's all about the late 60s, early 70s, uh, hippies who came to Jesus by the thousands in our country, described as one of the greatest revivals ever, the Jesus movement. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith and Pastor Greg Laurie are right at the heart of all that. And I, there's so much I didn't know about the background just watching the movie. It's just fascinating to think about. And there was a poignant moment where Chuck Smith is challenged by his daughter. Isn't that often the way it is? The younger generation challenges the older generation because we have so much 
because we get so comfortable and challenges the older generation. <laughs> Chuck Smith says, until God sends me a hippie, I'm not going to do anything about it. And, and so what happens? But his daughter picks up a hitchhiker hippie and brings him to dad. Doesn't that make you happy as a dad? But it's a true story. And he became one of the greatest evangelists our country has ever known. Amazing story. But Chuck Smith's at his church. He's wearing his suit and his tie. They show a scene before this movement began and as it was progressing. And it looked like a very familiar church. It had uh, brown paneling behind the pastor. It had wood pews. It, it, it had all these trappings of a church that had been built in the 1950s. And the music was very programmed, and, and, and all of the elements of the service were very predictable <laughs> until they brought Love Song up. <laughs> and they invited this guy, um, Frisbee, what was his first name? Lonnie Frisbee, to come and preach. It was wild. <laughs> and there were people that really weren't happy about that, that were part of that church. They had been faithful. They did not like the change. They were upset. They were worried. <laughs> and the pastor got up and said, maybe it's my job to make people uncomfortable. And I can only imagine for him, for Chuck Smith, who said that knowing he was going to lose his job, I'm sure he knew he would, right? Didn't, but I'm sure he knew he would. How hard that had to be as Jesus calls us to step out of a boat, to step onto and out into a storm, are we willing to do that? I really admire Peter's courage. And I know that God blesses those who hear his voice and also obey and do something that is just impossible for them to do. I am living proof In and of myself, I, I just have no business being a pastor. Not based on what I look like or what I knew or where I came from. But I had a heart that was just ready to serve Jesus. And one of my challenges as I get older is I get comfortable. It's harder to be challenged the older you get. But I never want to lose that passion, and I never want to lose that first love. I never want to lose that willingness, not only to get in a boat, but to get out of a boat and to know when to do either one. Notice Peter's focus. It's pretty important here, right? Really important here. When he saw the winds and the waves, he was afraid. If we do something difficult, we're going to find wind and waves. We're going to find challenge. We're going to find problems. Our biggest challenge, of course, is to keep our eyes on the water walker, not on the water itself. You ever notice there are contrasting scenes that are simultaneous in all of this? There's Jesus. Do you know what he's doing during this? 
It says in verse 23, he goes up onto the mountainside to pray. He has just lost his cousin and dear friend, John the Baptist, who's so much more than that. He's the forerunner of Jesus, prophesied voice of the one calling in the wilderness that Jesus is coming, he, and he's been beheaded. And Jesus gets this news. John the Baptist is killed for doing good, and Jesus knows that that's his destiny too. And we can only imagine his pain, and yet as he's teaching, the masses need to be fed, and he feeds them miraculously. The guy's been preaching all day. He's exhausted, and he sends his disciples away. Sometimes pastors need to do that, by the way. You guys just go away for a while. I'm going to put my phone away. <laughs> just, just, just go to this mountainside and pray. And Jesus does that. There's the scene of Jesus on this mountainside praying. And then there's the scene of the disciples on the water at the same time, panicked. And I think it's a beautiful contrast that in our panic, in our turmoil, in our frustration, in our fear, in our lack of knowing what in the world to do and how in the world is this going to get figured out, there's no panic in heaven. Don't you love that? Psalm 46 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And then this, this picture of serenity. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Isn't it good to know there's no panic in heaven today? I mean, one day, Jesus is going to lift the veil on all of this, and all these temporary problems are gone anyway, and all the water that we fear and all the wind and the waves. Will we regret not being willing to get out of the boat? Or will we regret trying and failing? I don't know. I think that's something for us to sort out, isn't it? Here's a question. Keeping your focus on Jesus, listening only to what he says, not what anybody else says, right? Maybe what he says through other people. How are you keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? I think that how question is really important. Because, yeah, familiar passage, you, you know that's what this is all about, right? It's like keep your eyes on Jesus, duh, not the waves. But how do we do that? How are you doing that? How are we doing that? This week we have three prayer meetings. I love it. You want to be here at 6.30 tonight? We'll pray for the youth and young adults of our church. We have some people who are particularly passionate about that. If you're available 10.30 on Wednesday, you can pray with us by Zoom, wherever you are. Tune in to the bottom of your friend's mail. You click here every time. You're available on Wednesdays. Some of us have committed to fasting and to prayer to help focus our prayer. Some of you are praying for Floyd in the hospital with your fasting. I know you are. You've told me. Some of you with your fasting are, are focused on a life issue and a decision that you're trying to make. 
some of us are praying for God's clear vision for Meridian Friends Church. What is it that's so desperate in your world right now that you're that serious about keeping your eyes on Jesus? What are you doing about it? How are you keeping your focus on him? So I think that's the important thing, actually. Because that's what we can do. As soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, we are sinking. And it ain't good. Third, that's Peter's courage. That's Peter's focus. How about a comment about his rescue? Don't you love it? Someone said it it really doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It only matters how many times you get back up. (laughs) And Peter's life, it's such a trophy case of, of God's grace. He falls down so many times. But Jesus is always willing to pick him up because he keeps calling out to him, Lord, help me. You'll see a parallel. This is just for you because, you know, the Easter crowd's coming, right? They won't have heard any of this, but you guys get to hear it. When Peter is restored from his failures, guess what? He's in a boat. And guess what he does? He's the only one that does this. He jumps out of the boat to run to Jesus. And I think we're intended to be reminded of what happened in Matthew 14, don't you? This time, it will be with victory. This time, it will be for keeps. This time, everything will change because he will finally have seen the resurrected Christ and everything changes for Peter after that, trust me. This failure becomes an incredible, incredible instrument for God. Because he keeps calling out to him. Because he doesn't quit. No matter how many times he fails, he doesn't stay underwater. I don't have a question attached to Peter's rescue. I have a declaration. Because of Jesus, our failure is not fatal. Do you believe that? Maybe other voices inside of your head say something else and that you don't deserve it and that you should stay down. Maybe your peers around you say that. Who cares? It's not what Jesus says. He says, come to me, any of you who are burdened and weary, you're heavy laden, come to me and find your rest. I'm going to give you something useful with your life, something that gives life, something that's refreshing, a yoke that matters in this world. And only Jesus can do that. Are you willing? It's the same word that he uses in Matthew 14. Okay, Peter, come. It's no coincidence. It's Jesus' call to us all throughout. Come, follow me. Come, come to where I am. Come, follow me. Are you willing? God will catch you when you fail, if you keep seeking him. I want to lead us into a few moments of reflection. And I want to remind you that God is able to do 
every good thing that he has promised. You know, I read to begin the service from Psalm 139, a beautiful passage about how deeply God knows you. And if it helps you during an open worship time, you know, find a scripture to reflect on, whatever it is. We all kind of do different things, right? (laughs) And that's okay. We want to spend this time letting God speak to us personally and individually. And that's the uniqueness of silence together, is that God has the chance to speak to each of us in our condition. I read that psalm to Floyd in the hospital yesterday. Because they're going to put a scope in him and try to figure out what in the world's going on. What extent, to what extent is this infection going on? And it's such a beautiful psalm because it, it just says God knows us inside and out already. He already knows. He already knows. He already knows. Aren't you glad? To me, that's comforting the afflicted. I think of Job's 38 as afflicting the comfortable. <laughs> and it's not just that God knows us personally and intimately and carefully that way, but he's also the Almighty to whom we must answer. He is the voice of authority, not any one of us, to whom we must give account with our lives at some point. And so I came across this reading this week, some of you did too, in Psalm 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job. And, and let's, let's just walk into a, a few moments of silence and open worship after this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans uh, without knowledge? This is Job talking back to God. I'm not going to get out of the boat. I don't understand. I don't like the storm that I'm in. What's wrong? And God says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely, Job, you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? I love some of the imagery in here. On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. And I I thought about this, just read this verse this morning after I got on a plane and I was above clouds thinking about this. Were any of us there, by the way? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come, here is where your proud waves halt. God said, the ocean goes this far and this far no more. Can we do that? Could they control the storm they were in, the waters, the wind? No. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Job. Or shown the dawn it's placed? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes place, takes shape like clay under a seal. 
its features stand out like those of a garment. Would you pray with me and let's go into silence. Jesus, we want to honor you today as the only one who is powerful, capable, and worthy of our praise. Lead us in these moments of listening. We're here not only recognizing your beautiful invitation to know you personally, but also we recognize you as sovereign, as creator of all, and the one to whom we must give account. Please let us hear from you. In Jesus' name we ask.